Welcome to another episode of Hashtag SM Life. My name is Morgan Zupanski and I'll be your host. Today we are talking with Jessica Barker. She currently lives in San Francisco, California. And today's episode is going to talk all about living in San Francisco, working in dance. We're also going to talk a lot about self-care and making yourself a priority and some of the quirks of dance and opera like working with live animals. So, let's dive in. Hello. Hi. I'm so glad to be talking with you today, Jessica. Uh, First question, tell everybody what you're working on right now, how you're spending your time, whatever that means to you. Great. Currently, I'm an assistant stage manager for the San Francisco Opera. We are right now in between the summer and the fall season. So I am actually one week into a three-week break. So currently, I'm just enjoying a little bit of downtime after the summer's like fast and furious pace and getting ready to go in prep for the fall season where I am assistant stage managing on two different operas out of the five for the season at San Francisco Opera. Wow. Well, and I, I've heard San Francisco Opera has a very crazy, busy schedule. I hear they have you working nonstop. Yeah. I mean, it's a traditional six days a week kind of working atmosphere. And it is really busy because everything runs in repertory. So we're all working sort of all on top of each other all the time. But it is one of the best teams I've ever worked for as a stage manager. And I feel that not only is it a lot of really talented stage managers involved in this team, but it also is well evenly distributed the weight of the responsibilities, I feel. So I feel although we're all working fast and furious, we've all got a lot on our plates, but it all seems really manageable. And we have an excellent support structure within the team at San Francisco Opera. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, San Francisco Opera, it's like a giant, beautiful, big ship, right? It, you do these tremendously big shows, and you San Francisco Opera has been doing it for a long time now, so there is structure in place and support for, to allow you guys to do really cool things. Absolutely, yeah. One of the best things I find about working for an institution that's been around for a lot of time is that they've had the time to sort of figure out what worked for them and the schedule that feels right for them and the pacing for the season. And they're able to bring in these really big, challenging productions and and productions that we haven't done before here at this opera house and get it up and running with a relatively uh, little stumbling blocks as far as theater goes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So let's dive into your timeline. Let's talk about how you became a stage manager, how you learned what that was, and let's talk through your trajectory. Yeah, Um, like a lot of people, I fell in love with theater when I was still in school. And so for me, I did a little bit of like theater stuff in middle school. But in high school, actually, I really fell in love with working backstage. I had a friend who I really looked up to and she was and wanted to be an actress and she acted a lot in the theater productions. And I sort of tagged along and started working in the costume shop in high school theater. And in that high school environment, sort of as you got older and became a sophomore, junior, a senior, you took on more responsibilities. And I found myself about my junior year stage managing for the first time. And I absolutely fell in love with it. I found so many aspects of it to love that worked really well for me in this communication aspect of bringing together all the departments to just being in the center 
of the production process and being able to help coach it along and be able to support the process from the beginning to the end was really satisfying for me. So I ended up pursuing it into undergrad and I went for a BFA in technical theater at the University of Central Missouri. And from there, I actually went straight into grad school. So I have a MFA from the Yale School of Drama in stage management. And after graduating with my MFA, I went straight into the New York theater scene. And I was working in New York theater and loving my life there when I was looking for a, um, a summer job. You know, summer in New York is often workshops oriented. And I was looking for something out of town, change up the pace a little bit. And I ended up applying for what I thought was going to be a summer position in San Francisco and turned out to be a 46-week contract. So I actually picked up and moved out to San Francisco to work with the San Francisco Ballet. And that was oof, seven years ago, eight years ago, something like that. So I've been out here ever since. So I worked for six seasons with the San Francisco Ballet before changing over to the San Francisco Opera, which I changed over. This is my second season with the opera company now. Okay, so lots of questions out of that. First of all, um, making the move from New York to San Francisco sounds like it would be a really hard thing to move across the country. Uh, What made you decide to do that? I think the reality of the student loan situation (laughs) had a lot to do with it. And the stability of a long-term contract was extremely appealing to me. It it took a lot to take me away from New York. New York was the dream for a very long time. And being in theater, and it seems such the epicenter of theater, I think it's easy to get super focused that New York is the end-all, be-all for theater. And it took a while for me to really wrap my brain around a reality of not having a New York-based theater career. And I think once I allowed myself to get past this just mental roadblock for myself and allow myself to think about my stage managing career as a much more expansive and a larger breadth of material to, to work with, then I think that really freed me up to just embrace what life might bring to me and pick up all the bags and just trek cross country. I think that's so important. And I'm sure that's, I know that's something that a lot of people struggle with, right? We all kind of like come up in the theater scene and all, you know, for at least for me, the longest time, all I heard about was like Broadway in New York. And that should be your end goal if you want to be a stage manager. And like, that's kind of, you know, the thing that everybody has context for and talks about. And it's really hard to to switch your mindset and be like, oh, actually there are people across the country with very successful careers that don't do Broadway or New York City full-time. Yeah, I think there's so much more work in this industry and so much more work as a stage manager than I had really ever initially considered. And once you start finding all of these different venues and outlets for your work and their talents as a stage manager, it ends up being a really widely varied and incredibly fulfilling, like artistically career, I find. Absolutely. So when you were in New York, had you done a lot of dance? No, actually, I hadn't done any dance. This is um, not not a story you'll hear very often, I guess, but I hadn't done any dance, not in an educational or in a professional setting. What I did have was a really, really well-honed set of skills as far as technical technical aspects of stage managing and a really open atmosphere about 
how to approach things. I was really willing to let the company mold me into how they wanted things to run to a certain degree. And then also because I had had like a lifelong interest in music and I already read music very well, I was able to connect with them on just the music side of things and really taking it from like my experiences in musical theater and applying that widely to the work that we were doing at the ballet. So when you got offered a contract at the ballet, was it like a three month temp contract and then it was a full time or was it the initial offer was for the whole season? The initial offer was for the full 46 weeks. Oh my gosh. So, okay, you went from doing no dance and living in New York to taking a year-long dance contract and moving across the country. That is, like, like I'm so in awe of that. Good for you. Like, way to, like, take a chance and live your best life. Thanks. When I look back on it, it seems shocking to myself, too. <laughs> when in, like, you know, when you're living your day-to-day, you're like, okay, there's a difficult decision to make. And I thought to myself... If I don't like it at the end of one season, let's just at least knock down some student loans and you can always move back. But yeah, I I gave up my apartment in Manhattan and I sold all of the things that I had in it to the next girl who wanted to take the apartment and I left most everything behind me and picked up and moved. Wow, that's crazy. (laughs) Thanks. And I love it. I love it though. (laughs) But things will do for our art, right? Well, yeah, and I think I think everything you just said, I was, like, nodding my head the whole time, right? Like, yes, like, big picture, it's, it's a crazy thing. But in the moment, like, I mean, I have conversations like that with myself all the time. Like, okay, so I'm based in L.A., but I'm talking about this job in Austin right now. Do I want to take it? Do I need to move? Should I just sublet? Do I need to sublet? Is it enough money that I can kind of just, like, go and come back? Like, what is that situation? You know what I mean? Like, those conversations in my head happen every day. I totally get it. (laughs) So you're based in L.A. Have you worked in other cities? Yeah, I have. I mean, I know a lot of our peers that have, you know, a lot of people are working in New York and staying in New York. And a lot of people I know freelance all over the country. And they may have a home base and some of them don't. But they go where the art is and where the projects are that, that move them and drive them and uh, and I think it's amazing the amount of shapes and forms that this career can take from touring to New York to regional theaters to West Coast based. It can really take any shape and form that you want it to be. And I think giving giving my career some space to let it take its own shape was one of the best things that I did without consciously even knowing I was doing it. OK, let's dive in a little bit deeper. You get to San Francisco you hadn't lived there before, you took this contract, like, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, so, I mean, in a nuts and bolts kind of way, there were some, like, practical things. So I had one friend in San Francisco that I knew, and he let me stay with him for a couple weeks while my things were coming cross-country, and I apartment hunted. And so there was, like, the practicality of finding a place at the same time as, um, as starting my new job. But joining the San Francisco Ballet, I found to be a really easy transition. The dancers in the company there are exquisitely talented 
and incredibly supportive. And I felt very instantly with the company members, this immediate connection and this immediate draw to helping put on the most beautiful productions that we can and wanting to support that process to the best of my abilities. And so as a stage manager, it felt really easy to sort of jump right into the fray and start getting getting work done. They have a very, very full, busy season. And it starts with Nutcracker in December, and it goes all the way through May for performances. But because it runs in rep throughout the whole season as well, all of the rehearsal is front-loaded in the fall. So it, it ends up being a pretty stacked. So once once things started moving, it's really just keeping up for the ride. <laughs> yeah, I know that schedule well. <laughs> um, so then you're approaching ballet for the first time and dance for the first time, like, just on a really, like, tangible, hard skills level for a second, like, how did you do that, you know, without that, like, knowledge base and previous experience, like, how did you anticipate how you were going to call the show, like, because, yes, there are music cues, but sometimes it has to be visual, like, just for anybody that doesn't have any dance experience, it's like, wow, I can do it, too, like, how do they do it? Yeah, so there's sort of two, I there's no set way, of course, to stage manage, but there's sort of two ideologies about stage managing dance. And one is calling it to a score, and one is calling it to what I call a blocking script. So just all on the visual elements. And for me, I think the first step was speaking the language that they speak. So it, it, it involved, for, for starters, being really comfortable and asking a lot of questions. There was a lot I didn't know and I just needed to ask the questions and keep finding my way. And then some of it was just research. So I found that ABT, American Ballet Theater Company, their online website has this great dictionary of ballet terms and between you know, YouTube tutorials. And I ended up actually enrolling in an adult basic beginners ballet class just to even further learn. So I spent a lot of time sort of cultivating, you know, my understanding of the terms that they were using in the rehearsal process and developing the language skills to be able to create a blocking score that, of course, not only myself could follow, but any subsequent stage manager as well, because San Francisco Ballet focuses really strongly on world premieres as well. It uh, was one of my main draws to them as a company. Uh, in, in my career, I've d focused a lot of work on world premieres and sort of the development of new works has been a primary focus for me. So working with that to sort of develop something for myself that worked and for anybody else down the line would work was a starting thing for me. Predominantly at the San Francisco Ballet, we call from a score, a musical score, unless really otherwise necessary. There's a couple of Phillips Glass pieces or John Adams pieces that I'll prepare to a blocking script because I think it's much more accessible and much more reliable for those pieces. So I judge on a ballet to ballet or music score to music score basis on how I'm going to approach it. But I think Becoming comfortable with some terms for me was the beginning foundation point for accessing dance as a stage manager. I think that's so smart, too, that you took like an adult intro ballet class because then you can get it in your body a little bit, too, right? It's not just in the mind. Absolutely. I think one of the strengths of a stage manager is being able to, you know, feel in time and feel the show like in your body, if you know what I mean. And to me, being able to better understand what they were expressing and the 
the goals of the expression of the art that we're doing, being able to get better in touch with that in like my soul, I felt really helped strengthen my stage managing. Yeah. And there's something, you know, when people ask me, like, how did you learn to read music and how do you read music for opera? I think the same is true for dance and any kind of musical show to a certain extent. Like there's there's being able to read the music and then there's that extra instinct that comes with knowing the show, knowing the performers, knowing when someone holds a note and that maybe the orchestra is going to choose to move on, but the performer is going to stay an extra second. You know, if there's an aria coming up, she might milk it. She might not. We'll see how it goes. And just knowing how to feel that and follow that in addition to reading what's supposed to happen on the page is really important. Absolutely. That's exactly it. Um, so how, how many people are on the team at the ballet? So the ballet stage management team is a two-person team. I was hired as the assistant stage manager to a stage manager who had already been in residence there for several years. And actually, during the time that I was there, through some admin negotiations, we changed the titles to better fit the um, the jobs that were being done. So when I left, it was production stage manager and stage manager, with me being the stage manager still the under the the previous PSM who had been there and still is there. So with the two-person team, is it because the shows run in rep, so you'd flip back and forth, or were you both working on all the shows? We're both working on all the shows, actually. Oh so my gosh. <laughs> when she's calling the show, I'm running the deck as ASM, and when I'm calling a show, she's running the deck as ASM. And the shows were pretty split evenly through the season so that we would be both of us calling sort of an equal number of the world premieres, which tend to be heavier on the preparation aspect and rehearsal aspect. And then, and then splitting as well, the calling uh, responsibilities of the full lengths that are in the season and Nutcracker itself, we split half and half. And so it's, it's a lot of work. And, and that company in particular, I mean, it was six days a week, really long days, a really hard contract to work that one. Yeah. Well, and then do you guys have PAs or interns or any kind of help or is it just the two man team? It's just the two man team. Stop it. There was, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, it, it's a, it's a tough, tough contract that one. And it, the San Francisco ballet for starters being focused so wonderfully on new works and world premieres, and then also having such a robust presentation of the classics, you know, the Giselles, the Swan Lakes, the Don Quixote, um, being such a wonderfully well-rounded company that it is, it presents a lot of challenges as far as the stage management team of that size. And there was there was one show that was so particularly large, and that would be Frankenstein, the ballet, believe it or not, uh, <laughs> that we did hire a third. But for the rest of it, it was just the two. So... Just like logistically, um, when you are working a dance show, let's talk about um, Swan Lake. It's something that most people can reference. For the, the stage manager or the ASM that's on the deck running the deck, what does that look like? So with, with ballet, we don't have to cue any entrances like you do in opera, which is nice. So it's more flexible to be able to run the deck as a one-person ASM team. 
but uh, in in the goings of there's some technical complexity so i would say that as an asm on deck for a ballet piece i would be wherever the most important technical aspects are happening so whether it's you know the the lifts bringing up the vision of the white swan that he the prince has i would be near the lifts for that and any big scene changes there's a we do a big scene change into the act 4 instead of doing an intermission there it's just this fast quick change set uh, so I'll just be around making sure that all of the cues execute properly, making sure everybody is safe. And I guess that's actually one of the big ones for dance is making sure everybody's safe and feeling well because of the physical demands that dance entails. Um, body, body fatigue and injuries and all these kind of aspects for the performers come up that we might not necessarily have to deal with as often in theater aspects. Yeah, absolutely. So really, in a lot of ways working in ballet is more similar to a theater ASM track than an opera ASM track is what yeah. I'm hearing. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, and then do you think there are any quirks to working specifically for ballet that you don't have to deal with in opera or theater? Hmm, quirks in ballet. Let me think. With ballet and any of the dances, with the amount of injuries that can happen, I would say is the most specific thing that's individual to dance stage managing. The realities of having to put somebody into the show while the show is still running. So for instance, there was one time, one of the male dancers was doing a menege, which is one of those beautiful things where they circle the stage doing leaps. And he leaped past us and basically signaled to me running the deck that he, didn't feel physically well enough to continue the show. So we had to ready the cover while he continued his solo. And as soon as we could leap him out and leap in the new person to continue the show. And so there are these like mid show changes of casting that's happened or pauses that we've had to have while we ready a cover and put them in. If somebody's no longer feeling well enough to continue the show, that is the is something I had never experienced as a stage manager until I worked in dance. And are the covers, are they more like swings like on Broadway where it's like two or three people or six people and they can do any track or are there covers for specific roles? How does that work? So at least within the San Francisco Ballet, it normally worked as multiple castings. So for instance, because Swan Lake is often you want to see a specific dancer, maybe dance the lead, there'll be several castings. So say there might even be up to five girls that are going to perform Oda Odeal in Swan Lake. And there might be two or three different forms of casting for the whole core. So you could go to the, go to see Swan Lake three times in the week and see completely different castings. So in that respect, it's not so much that there's covers as there are alternate people who have learned the role that we can put on. I see, and then you kind of like move people around like a chessboard almost as you need them. Yes, and so for instance, if your principal man might go out on, on Swan Lake, then you can't just replace him because he'll never have danced with the female and they might not be the right heights to dance together. And so you'll want to replace the whole couple usually. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and those are things you just don't think about until you do, right? Yeah, until you have to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about paperwork? Just to like talk through all the hard skill stuff. 
So when I approach dance paperwork from a technical aspect, I just seem to find what works best to support the show. And I was coming into a program where I was really hired because of my foundation in technical aspects and a great handle on paperwork. And that was something that hadn't been existing in the department before me. So I sort of came in with an approach that I liked for paperwork and sort of was able to take a leading position within the department and the company and how we handled it. So I treated my ballet backstage paperwork ex exactly as I would have theatrically. You know, I tend to start with an entrance exit sheet and then start to mark through, you know, costume changes and set changes. And, and I just let it all flow out sort of from a chronological standpoint for me, just approaching the show top to bottom, just as I would in any regular theater piece. Then what made you decide to switch from ballet into opera? I think the long, the long story short of it is burnout. I mean, it was an extremely demanding role. And with such a small team to approach so much work, I found myself getting really overworked and starting to look at my work-life balance and finding that really wasn't what I wanted it to be. I was finding that because... You know, for instance, I was supposed to be a bridesmaid and a best friend's wedding and things like that. And then even with a year of of advanced warning, you know, they weren't able to give me time away. And, you know, this just the demand of the workload and not as much support able to be provided within the stage management team and the numbers. It really meant it was sort of everything in my life for a while. And I think this is something stage managers often struggle with is the job can become everything. And it's a really, really difficult thing to figure out sometimes for yourself of when you are becoming the job and when maybe that's not the healthiest approach for you. And so for me, it was a lot of soul searching and a lot of difficult, difficult deciding moments about what was happening in my career and where, what was happening with my mental health. And I needed some time for sure, away from it, to like reassess how I wanted my career to balance with my life. So then did you take some time off before you went into the opera contract? I did. So I, uh, my departure from the ballet wasn't coincided with starting with the opera. I actually didn't have a job lined up afterwards. And so when I was away from the ballet, my plan was to take some time and to sort of, you know, relook at things. Do you ever have those moments where you're like, maybe maybe this is done for stage managing for me. Like maybe this should be it. Everyone. Yes. A hundred percent. There are days. So I was having one of those moments in my life and I was sort of just doing some like really great, like good things for my health and like getting time to like spend with my family and, you know, getting time to reestablish my friendships and taking some time for myself and to reassess sort of my goals and like my boundaries and in this soul-searching time of contemplating whether or not theater was still my, my artistic home and, and what I wanted to make of my career, I got a job offer. Somebody got my name as a local stage manager in San Francisco, and somebody had to step out of a position 
um, due to an illness in their family, and they were looking for somebody to take over a stage management position last minute. And I hemmed and hawed, and then it turned out, okay, it's a world premiere, which is already close, close to my heart. And then it turned out that the director is um, someone I went to grad school with. I actually directed her director's thesis project. Her name is Becca Wolf. And she was putting together, they were about to start rehearsals for this great piece called Weightless, a brand new rock opera that was going up here in, in San Francisco at Z Space. And it was just too perfect of an opportunity to pass up, you know, knowing the people that were involved. And, and so I signed on to this thing thinking, okay, I'll touch back to the theater. It's my roots. Let's see, see what I feel about stage managing in, in this in, in this different aspect, this different company, changing things up a little bit. And I found myself welcomed into a team that was so incredibly supportive, was so wonderful, was written by somebody who had been working on this passion piece for the last 10 years. And her, and, um, her husband was in the piece as well. And they, they'd been creating this for so long. And it was such a meaningful project for them to be working on. And so to be able to be in the rooms start to finish again with a company and a production in a theater way that I hadn't been in the dance world for a while was really grounding and really, really touching for me to be able to be such a part of this experience. And then we actually ended up getting to stay with the piece for quite a while. So it opened here in 2018 in San Francisco at Z Space. And then it actually ended up getting picked up at Under the Radar Festival in New York this winter, early January, and I was able to go with them to that. And from there, ACT here uh, in San Francisco picked it up, and I was actually able to join them for that run as well this spring. Don't you love that when it feels like jobs are just kind of meant for you? Like timing is so important in some ways. Absolutely. I think that all of the best moments of my career, with a little bit of breathing space and letting sort of some fate come into play, has absolutely driven my, my career into the right place. Like just having a little room to breathe and then letting letting sort of my career guide the way has been working really well for me. But so yeah, it just was the first perfect opportunity at the perfect moment that fell into my lap. Uh, do you know Jamie O'Hara? I do. Okay, I do so, indeed. like, we're talking, right, and I'm listening to your story, and I just keep thinking of Jamie because, like, she's just – or, like, the when, at least when she was in L.A., I was an ASM for her. When she came here two years ago now, I forget. But, like, she, you know, she was at this point where she was really trying to, like, make space for herself and, like, figure some stuff out and, like, try to get back to, like, who she wants to be as a human being. And I was just thinking, like, that's exactly it, right? Like, sometimes you just have to make space for, like, the rest of you to catch up to where, like, the professional you has achieved, Absolutely. She's somebody I enjoy talking about this with because I think it's becoming a lot more, there's a lot more awareness amongst stage managers, I think, about taking better care of ourselves mentally and physically. And it's something I can't champion enough. And she is somebody who I have seen put herself, her, her personal well-being at the forefront and before the career. And I think it's something that's challenging to do in a in a career where there's so much love and passion in it to also remember who you are outside of it. And, and watching her find balance and find space for herself is really inspiring to me. Well, and it's funny because, I mean, at least, like, my perspective on things 
when I first started stage managing, I felt like it was like a really proud thing to be like, oh my God, I didn't sleep this whole week because I've been so busy, right? Like it felt like a really proud like badge of honor to wear to be like beyond exhausted and to be doing four shows at the same time. You know what I mean? Like that was how you looked cool as a stage manager. And now I'm like, hell no. (laughs) like I'm super proud when I like made it to the beach yesterday because I had a whole day off and I was like you know what I'm gonna go get some sun that was great yeah there's such a culture that sacrifice shows dedication and I just find that doesn't need to be true and I and I I do agree it's such a common pitfall and like a source of pride of how much we're willing to give to our art and then to me it just becomes a fine line between giving and sacrificing. It's, am I giving all of my myself that I can into a career that I want to put every bit I can into? Yes, but am I sacrificing something in myself while doing so? That's when I start to feel that there's risk and, and maybe some, some chance for um, some introspection into that. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it's that like, when I was, it was because I was like just starting out and now I have, you know, 10 years of experience or if it's more like the mindset that was five years ago versus the mindset that is today. But I definitely feel like there was, like there's been a shift, at least like in my circles, in my group of stage management friends, there's a shift to like understanding that self-care is really important now in a way that like I really don't feel like anybody ever talked to me about when I was starting out as a stage manager and like not just setting boundaries and like in the really like basic and authentic ways of that but like being genuinely like no I need a I need a morning or like I need a sick day because I'm going through a personal thing and like I won't be serving you in that rehearsal room and like there's space I feel like for people to hear that and help you with that now in a way that I just don't think there was five years ago. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I'm seeing at least in my team, this shift as well towards management feeling very protective of of us as well, where it used to sort of be a challenge to assert yourself and stand up for what you need as a human. I'm finding even in this trend of self-care and self-awareness in these matters to find that other people above too are looking out for me and my best mental and physical well-being, which is something exquisite to experience, you know, finding the difference between working in a supportive environment and working sometimes in some less supportive environments where you're encouraged to overwork yourself or work through meal breaks or work, you know, there's such a different in the environment I've felt. And I'm not sure, as you say, I'm not sure if it's a time shifting or my own perspective shifting, but it's coming into such a more beautiful place for me to be able to take care of myself. And then when I'm at work, give absolutely everything I can to support that. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I remember in interviews I used to get asked like well what's your hobby and I used to be so annoyed by that question because my answer would always genuinely be well my hobby is stage management too because whenever I'm not working I'm shadowing so my hobby is like observing other people I guess because it was like genuinely what I was doing and now I'm like no like first of all we want to make sure you have a full life so when I'm asking about your hobby when I'm interviewing people now it's partially like I want to get to know like the full person so tell me something else you're interested in and also it's partially like 
you know, like be a full person, like make time for your friends, make time to live the rest of your life. If work is your whole life, then like when you don't get the one job that you really wanted, like it's going to really suck. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's something so different too about, it doesn't mean we're saying support the process less. It's absolutely not that. And so I think it's for me a long time it took me a while to realize that taking care of myself wasn't taking less care of my production. It could absolutely be everything it's always meant to me to stage manage. And I can still give all of myself to a project, but by taking better care of myself outside, I could better support others. That is so key. And I think that was so well said a hundred percent. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about, like, San Francisco as a general city to work in for a minute. Um, Just, like, what is the, what are the opportunities available to people that are maybe interested in working in San Francisco? You know, this is an aspect that sometimes I dread being asked about because I feel (laughs) that I've been so lucky and fortunate in my career that I'm not sometimes sure how best to encourage others who are interested in working in San Francisco. The best thing I can say about San Francisco is that it has such a large and varied theater audience here and and so much art happening in this city at any one time that there's an opportunity to really explore and find these companies that have individual focuses that might best align with you. And so like right now, I've been talking with some companies that are really, really focusing in new works and especially with this day and time of age that we are in in America right now are focusing on having something to say about that, using our world of theater to reach out to others and to say something in the statement in this time, you know, is is how I'm sort of accessing this community in San Francisco is like using my interests to drive it. But honestly, there's so much going on in this city. It's just sort of navigating the waters. So one thing I hope for San Francisco, too, as a stage manager in the future is that we might be able to build a stronger network. I see so much happening in the New York scene amongst stage managers about coming together, not just socially, but also in a way of like expanding your professional skills and developing these things um, that I'm interested in sort of helping foster here in San Francisco. But at, at a starting point, I think it's really just about learning more about all of the different theater companies that are working in this Bay Area. For me personally, uh, as a member of Actors' Equity, it really narrows that focus. There, There's not a whole lot of equity theater supported here in the Bay Area, but there's enough. So you just have to look for it, I find, and reach out and make connections. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe I've gotten from like the, the two times I've worked in San Francisco and just like from friends in that area is like there's a lot more, there's a lot of really great and really versatile non-union opportunities. And then like, as you look at the AGMA stuff or the equity stuff, it tends to get much smaller, but also the companies are very large, right? It's like, so it's, they, there are great opportunities there. And I, I just feel like it's a good place to be looking if you're interested in being there. Absolutely. And it's an incredible city. San Francisco, it's nothing like I ever dreamed of. It's a, it's a, such a wonderfully supportive arts community for starters, but also such a wonderfully, in, in a liberal aspect, uh, people who are really ready to engage in conversations, which I find to be really a rewarding kind of audience tone as a theater 
professional. So then one other thing I want to make sure we talk about is when you made the shift from dance into opera, had you done opera before at all? <laughs> um, <laughs> I had not done much professional opera work. Uh, most of my work had been for smaller scale opera companies, and it had been as a PSM, not as an ASM. And ASMing for opera is so absolutely unique, different, and challenging in its own way. The the queuing of entrances is its own, absolutely its own track of cues. And it can be fast and furious and challenging, and you're on your feet and you're running around. And I find it so absolutely artistically satisfying to be like this hands-on part of the process. Um, but it's not something I had had experience in. So it's been a sharp learning curve for me. Um, so I had done some some stage management in an educational setting with the opera center that was at Yale School at the Yale School of Music. Um, and then just some some small stuff since then. But no, I, I actually didn't have much experience in opera. Jessica, good for you. You're like my spirit animal right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, she just went for it. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I find I'm surprisingly adept at convincing people to let me have a go at something. You know, I feel that I know my skills and abilities, and I have a great ability to do the research to know what it's going to take, and a real willingness to open myself up for other people's advice and to really welcome people to help guide me to learn something new. I find there's really little else as satisfying as learning new things. I'm a lifelong learner for sure. I absolutely adore reading and just doing research into things. So by just putting myself at the like forefront ready to learn, I feel like has opened up so many opportunities in my career. So then, I mean, yes, queuing backstage as an ASM is definitely its own skill set. And I think even, like, there is multitasking and then there's, like, being an ASM on an opera deck and the multitasking that comes with that. And it's its own weird, unique muscle because you're, like, running the deck like you would in theater and simultaneously you're also queuing and being able to have one ear listening to the music and one ear paying attention to the crew member that's saying that maybe the rigging isn't working or the deck shift might not go as well and being able to do both at the same time. And I, I don't know, I always find it really hard to like teach or help people anticipate that, but I'm always want to make sure they know it's coming because it happens and it's always yes. so tricky. All, all of that 100% resounding yes for me. <laughs> it, it was a really interesting challenge because I have a lot of experience calling a show, but rarely are you interrupted during a calling of a show. People have a lot of like respect to your space while you're calling a performance, or maybe you're even in a tech booth and nobody can get near you. So the few like interruptions you have are might just be somebody on headset alerting you to something of whether or not you need to make a decision. You know, you might get alerted to something's wrong with the rigging. We're going to need to stop this show that's the kind of thing you get interrupted in your call with however on deck people might just try to chat with you like it, there's just a whole world going around backstage and the number of different things that are coming up that you're juggling that your mind needs to be on 
the multitasking is next level for sure. Oh yeah, I remember there was this one time I was an ASM for it. There were three ASMs and one calling stage manager and we were in the first act and the uh, show lighting system went down and we were doing the opera and work lighting and we were also doing a fight call backstage and the, the lead singer on stage, uh, he was upset because the beverage that was in his cup that night wasn't what he wanted so he was sending supers off stage to get a different liquid in there and we were like hi we're a little busy (laughs) but also you're about to do an aria we want to make sure you have your throat coated the way you want it coated and able so that you're able to do that aria so of course we will get your beverage for you and also, I'm trying to help the electrician figure out how to turn on some lights like that are set and, you know, battery operated like on the set while we're using the work lighting. <laughs> and hopefully we'll keep going. <laughs> but like every yeah. day, you know what I mean? Like a costume broke backstage while someone's being cued on and like, you know, there's it's nonstop in the most exciting way. I love it personally. I do too. It's an absolute love for me. And it never stopped like... You just can't anticipate the things that might go wrong Uh, on the biggest scale all the way down to somebody's beverage on stage. And it all is important to the process. And so having to have my like my brain spread that thin and my fingers on everything is something that really is fun for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely the same way. I like it was really challenging in the beginning to figure out like it was a little bit like shell shock like oh this is not the environment I am used to oh like these these singers and these supers they want to they want to talk about their morning while I'm trying to like count music right now and oh that's your cue go 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 (laughs) you know what I mean it was like definitely a shell shock but now that I have done it for a while and I'm comfortable in it absolutely love it 100 percent and and it's such a fun atmosphere backstage that it can be such a, a difficult thing to keep your brain, you know, you're counting cues and counting measures. For instance, I'm from St. Louis and our hockey team, the St. Louis Blues, just won their first Stanley Cup. Yeah. And there's a couple <laughs> other St. Louisers in the chorus. And so I'm trying to count and I'm ready to cue, you know, Carmen entrances of the chorus at like, you know, great specific intervals. And everybody's trying to high five me because I was wearing a blues jersey the day before, so they all knew. <laughs> and so there's like, you know, you're you're amongst a crowd of people backstage, but it's a it's like such a delicate balance, you know, keeping everything running, but also being able to enjoy your colleagues. It it can be everything there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you've been doing opera for a hot minute now. Uh, what's your, like, what's been the biggest, has it been the biggest learning curve just ASMing on the deck or has there been anything else? Yeah, I think ASMing on the deck has been the biggest learning curve. I mean, I had the, the experience from working in musical theaters with orchestras and working in ballet with live orchestras, but once you're on a maestro's time, you know, everything just shifts from, you know, in, in theater standpoints with the stage manager and the director sort of running the clock comes very differently than in any sort of world where your conductor or your maestro is sort of running the clock. And so that 
that sort of learning curve, at least, came partially to me with ballet, and then the rest of it settled in with the opera, about just sort of the differences of how timing works, I guess, in a technical aspect backstage. Um, but the, the realities of running the deck and queuing while multitasking, while taking care of, you know, the technical aspects and taking care of, of your personnel, the singers and, and the supers and the choristers on stage. I mean, it's all it all has its challenges, but it all has come together for at least my experience here in this company in a really beautiful way. Have you done an opera with any live animals yet? <laughs> yeah, actually, our Carmen just had a horse in it, but I've actually done more dances with live animals in it. Okay, well, uh, let's talk about that for a minute, because I feel like, first of all, it's such a unique thing, and once you've done it, like, you can't undo that. <laughs> so, like, what has your experience been? Well, for starters, if you ever do a show with two dogs, make sure that I would make sure they're both girls, actually, because uh, when you put a boy and a girl dog on stage together, sometimes they get their own interests. And we definitely had to drag humping dogs off of a stage during Giselle one time. Oh, no. <laughs> the audience thought it was hilarious. But you never, so it just goes to show, though, that live animals adds a certain different level than any other, like, aspect you could ever imagine before so most of my experiences has been really really wonderful I've done a Don Quixote that has a donkey and a horse in it both ridden well for entrances and then we just did a Carmen uh with a horse in it that's ridden for multiple entrances and, I, and I've had amazingly wonderful experiences my experience oddly enough is that most of the animals learn their musical cues for entrances which is very funny to, to see the animals start to move on the music that you normally stand them by for or something is really, really hilarious. Because <laughs> they just know. <laughs> they do. They do. And, of course, there's the odd animal that poops on your stage, and you always are prepared. We always send somebody out in costume from props that's, you know, dressed as a super or whatever and has equipment to clean it all up. And that's even more true and especially important in dance, of course, where the floor is such a fundamental aspect of their performance um, and needs to be, you know, clean in a way that, you know, isn't slippery, isn't too grippy. You know, the floor is so specific for dance. Um, but, uh, you know, I've got great positive experiences working with animals. I love that so much. I really want to do a Noah's Ark opera. I don't know why that's on my bucket list, but it totally is. I just like, I just feel like it would be so hard in the best way possible. And I'm like, bring it on. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and I can't decide if I would want to be a part of that or if I would run screaming at the mirror, like, <laughs> out of it. Uh, all I'll say is, I did this one show where I was in ASM, back still at school, in grad school, and there were two goats, and and it was this show where the crew was really part of the production, and we were very, very visible and an element of the, of the production, and I had to lead these two goats across the stage, and then bring them to this, you know, open set piece, basically, and hide out with these, these goats, and the the stage had been previously covered in food from a previous scene so there's popcorn everywhere and there's 
So dragging these two goats that are trying to eat everything on the floor across the stage <laughs> is a moment I will absolutely never forget um, and would never want to do again. Oh, so, no. <laughs> so I'm great as long as all I have to do is get them onto the stage and do nothing with them while they're on the stage. Oh, gosh, that, yeah. But all I can say is that with, with any great big company, the larger you get, the more specializations each department can have and having wonderful animal handlers or having wonderful props departments that know how how to best support having animals on stage is crucial. I have so much respect for absolutely every person amongst the teams uh, of the War Memorial Opera House where I work and, and really nothing but the best to say of every team of crew I've ever worked with really. But the team at the War Memorial Opera House is fantastic and how they support us having these animals on stage. I mean, our horse had special aisle runner carpets laid for his whole track to walk and they would hold the elevators open so that it could come through the most easy like pathway in it had a carpeted walkway so we didn't hear hoof hoofs clomping backstage before their queue like they take such good care of these animals and the way that they're in the process like the way they're in the production to be at least as healthy for the animals and safe for everyone around as we possibly can make it uh i and then i'm like always i instantly go into a thought process of like wow, like this is so cool and it works so well when you're at a larger scale, a place where they can give you that kind of support. And then I'm like, think about Game of Thrones and I'm like, like, there's so many people involved. <laughs> it just like, <laughs> then my mind just kind of explodes and I'm like, cool, like never going to want to do that. <laughs> you know, I get so many reactions from people uh, in San Francisco, obviously the predominant industry is tech tech, startups, all this kind of thing is the predominant industry. So usually when I'm mingling, people and people find out that I work in opera, it's of great interest. It's so unique to them. And to find out that I have a degree or specialized training in this industry to do this really unique thing that we do is always so interesting to them. And it makes me just think about what specializations there are in all of the entertainment industry. And so when I look at something like Game of Thrones, I can just think of how many people are back there working on each special thing. You know, there's some person creating these amazing hats and amazing hair pieces that we're seeing and so many teams working on these animals. You know, it takes just a huge village to do these like entertainment aspects that we watch. And some people say that it gets lost behind the scenes, but I find that there's such interest in behind the scenes work. I find that we, we do these open, open scene changes at the opera house where the opera, instead of during the intermission and keeping the curtain down like they would normally, they raise the curtain and during the scene change that's taking place on stage, they'll bring out some technical, you know, people who know what's going on uh, and sort of narrate and answer questions to the audience about what's happening and to give the audience this opportunity to see the vast numbers that it takes to handle the scenery you're seeing and the amount of organization and work that it takes to bring these worlds to life, I think is so great. And I love seeing people take that interest from an audience perspective in the world that's going on behind the scenes because it's so many talented individuals working back there. 
I think that's such a great point, and it's so true, right? Like, I really feel for any stage manager, regardless of whether or not you feel like opera is something that you want to pursue and work in, I highly recommend shadowing a stage manager in an opera house for, like, a big opera or something like La Boheme or something where there's shift changes. It'll blow your mind how many people there are that just help make this thing happen. Like, it's incredible to watch, even if it's not something you want to do. It is. It's choreography of its own kind, and it is a beautiful thing to see. A hundred percent. Well, and like even I think also a really great point is like talking about there are jobs and there are people doing jobs that you would never even think of. Like I was watching the documentary for the last season of Game of Thrones and there's a snow guy. Like there's a guy and his entire job is to do snow for the entire show. And, like, there are different, like, thickness levels and, like, where it's going to be sprinkled and, like, how far, how many feet out he has to do because what's going to get shot on camera and what does it look like and each day it's a different kind of snow and, like, you know, like, is it going to really snow? Is it all going to be fake snow? Like, how do they balance out that interaction? And, like, it's so much detail that you would never think of except, oh, cool, like, there's this person doing that. And I think it's the same for stage managers. I think that there are people who get really stuck in the traditional expectations of where a stage manager can be and what they can do. And there are so many different things that require stage managers that people don't talk about or expect. I think that's so true. And I find that the the longer I work in stage managing, the more interest I have too in expanding that that skill to come like across as many opportunities as I can. You know, starting to work in sort of these corporate event avenues that can take so many shapes and forms for for starters, but also in, in you know in a variety of aspects. For instance, uh, just this past spring, I went on the road with LA Dance Project. Oh, uh, Benjamin cool. Millipitt's company. Yeah. And so we went to, I went to France with them on tour and it was something that I had never done being on the road with a smaller company where there is less support and less individualized, you know, structure. You know, we go from having somebody who takes care of just snow to now having to take care of everybody by yourself, you know, <laughs> the, the wide varieties of shapes and sizes that this this career and this skill set can take forms and is just endless to me and I enjoy all of it yeah and I think that's so it's just so key and resonant for me and that like I really just well I have the mic for a moment really want to encourage everyone like you know especially when you are hitting walls like what we were talking about earlier I think it's really important to figure out like what specifically is making you unhappy about what you're doing and really thinking about like where else can I find what I'm missing because there are so many different kinds of opportunities and there's so many jobs that are not even like your title may not be stage manager but you're using those skill sets like we are so we have such strong soft skills that can transfer into so many different things I think it's so important and like there's actually just so much potential to do really whatever we want I think that's absolutely so true. And for for instance, currently I'm planning my wedding. Yes, congratulations. Uh, thank you. And, and and it was always for the longest time what I talked about as being my backup career because I always felt the skills so aptly applied to that different sort of performance of itself. Um, and it and just in being 
outside of my like my theater zone here, but applying these skills into a completely different realm just reminds me exactly like you're saying how applicable these soft skills are to really anything we want to do. Uh, so last question for you, Jessica. Um, big picture advice, what would you what advice would you give to your younger self? I think some of the best advice is advice that I hear all the time being given and things like, you know, never burning the bridges because it's a really small theater company, you know, when you find yourself burning out to take better care of yourself. But I think the thing that I've been really dwelling on lately for myself and actually is more my advice to myself for my continuing career and I think would have been helpful to hear earlier on is that I'm trying to make my choices in a way that guides my full career, not just my today and my tomorrow. So when I'm thinking about what's helping me or what I'm going for next, I try to think if this is going to lead me down the line to a place where I want to be, does this support my bigger pictures? I think personally, I find my life to be easier when I have long distance goals. So I try to set something, you know, of a five-year plan and a 10-year plan. And I have absolutely no no concerns of whether or not that is achieved or not, but having a forward motion and something to go towards gives me great purpose. And by keeping my framework and my vision as a larger picture and a down-the-line viewpoint, I find I'm much able better to navigate my today in a healthier way and allows me to make some of these decisions, these harder decisions about what jobs not to take because your plate's already full or when to maybe say goodbye to a job that you love, but it doesn't support your work-life balance in a way that you need. Those choices become easier when I frame it and keep in vision what my longer term goals are. So that would be my advice. I was like nodding my head the whole time you were talking. I was like, yes, 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 yes. And I think I think I just want to like end the episode by going back to something you said earlier and just that like a reminder to everyone that like self-care and like taking time for yourself and your personal life doesn't mean that you have to give less to your work life. Like I think it's so important to remember that you can still give 120% and take care of yourself. Absolutely. It just allows you to give 110% to your regular life too, to like have a more well-rounded, more fully like lived, you know, experience to, to have so many more things open to yourself by allowing yourself to take care of your, your body and your emotional well-being. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jessica, for talking with me today. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Also, do you have like an Instagram or like if people want to get in touch with you to ask follow up questions or like an email or something? Is there anything that you feel comfortable giving? Yeah, I'll give my Instagram handle. Okay, my cool. Instagram handle is I-E-K-I-K-A-L-Y-N-N. It's Aikika Lin. Aikika is Hawaiian for Jessica. I'm I'm Hawaiian. Actually, our wedding is going to be in Oahu in February. Um, but so yeah, Aikika Lin. I e k i k a l y n n. That's my Instagram handle. Please feel free to DM me any questions, and you'll see plenty of posts about my life in opera as we are living it right now.
Well, that concludes another episode of Hashtag SM Life. Uh, by now, you know the drill, but just in case, a few things before you go. Make sure that you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. It's going to help other stage managers find our show. Also, make sure to click subscribe so you see the new episodes as they show up every week. This podcast is presented by the Stage Managers Association. If you want to keep up with the SMA on social media, they have all the socials. They have Twitter, they have Facebook, they have Instagram. Definitely check them out. Also, if you want to keep up with me on the socials, you can look for me on Instagram at Morgan underscore Zupanski. On this week's episode of Hashtag SM Life, you heard from Jessica Barker and myself, Morgan Zupanski. Thanks again for listening and stand by for more episodes soon.